Good morning, everybody. How many are happy to be in the house of the Lord this morning? Can you say amen? Amen. This is week three of our Moving with God series. Uh, Sorry. This is week three of our Kingdom First Life series. That's the name of our series, Kingdom First Life. And we're learning what it means to live the Kingdom First Life. I would like to draw your attention to the book of John, chapter 9. I'm going to read the first seven verses here of John chapter 9. John chapter 9, verses 1 through 7. I'm going to go ahead and read it as you're turning there. Uh, If you don't have your Bible, don't worry. You don't feel like turning to it on your phone. That's okay, too. I'll read it to you uh, from mine. I haven't haven't used an actual Bible in years. I don't know what it feels like. to. to. John 9, verse 1. This is what it says. Now, as Jesus passed by, he saw a man who was blind from birth, And his disciples asked him, saying, Rabbi, who sinned, this man or his parents, that he was born blind? Jesus answered, Neither this man nor his parents sinned, but that the works of God should be revealed in him. I must work the works of him who sent me while it is day. The night is coming when no one can work. As long as I am in the world, I am the light of the world. When he had said these things, he spat on the ground and made clay with the saliva. And he anointed the eyes of the blind man with the clay. And he said to him, go, wash in the pool of Siloam, which is translated sent. So he went and washed and came back seeing. Hmm. Father, I pray that you speak to us mightily by the power of your word and spirit in the name of your son, Jesus. Amen. Amen. Jesus is on a journey with his disciples, and as they are walking through the city, they see not only a man who was blind at the moment, but the man was born blind. He was not recently blind, he was born blind. He had not had an accident, he was born blind. He had been blind all of the days of his life. Now for the disciples of Jesus, this was not simply a circumstance of life. There was a theological significance to this man's blindness. Somebody had to did something. (laughs) Somebody did something. You see, in the theology of the disciples of Jesus up to that moment, the hardships of your life are God's punishment for either the sins that you committed or the sins that your parents committed. If some hardship has befallen you, you must have did something. Isn't that how you feel at times? Have you ever felt like, I know what this is, God is getting me back for what I did in high school Actually, you don't even have to think back as far as high school. It's easy for us to believe that our trials and tribulations are a form of divine retribution for the sins that we've committed. Now, don't get me wrong. There is a time and a place in which the trial that you're walking through is God's discipline because you've messed up. And we're actually going to talk about this in our sermon next week. We're going to talk about the difference between a trial and a test. Because all tests are trials, but not all trials are tests. There's some trials that are just trials. 
We'll talk about that next week. Yeah. Put a pin in that. But in this situation, Jesus looks at the man and then looks at his disciples and says, before I do anything here, I'm going to fix your theology. You think that this man is in this condition because he's done something wrong and this is God's divine retribution on his life, either for his sins or the sins of his parents. Jesus said the theological meaning of this man's predicament is not sin. The theological meaning of the trial that you're walking through right now is not that you've sinned. Hmm. You're not in pain because you messed up. Yeah. But Jesus says there is a theological significance to this moment. The meaning is not sin, but that the works of God might be revealed hmm. in him. Hmm. The man is not in trouble because he sinned, but so that... The works of God might be revealed in him. Jesus says this is an opportunity for God's works to be revealed in him. Jesus says your trial is often simply an opportunity for God to be glorified by delivering you from your trial. Your sickness is often simply an opportunity for God to be glorified by delivering you from your sickness. Your need, your lack is often an opportunity for God to be glorified by delivering you from your lack, by providing for your need, by intervening in your situation. You see, sometimes the works of God have not been completely revealed, and so he needs to allow you to walk through a trial so that he can reveal something of his nature in your deliverance. I like the word revealed. The word revealed there is the word, the Greek word apocalypsis. You ever heard of the word apocalypse? See, in our culture, when you use the word apocalypse, it means the whole world has been destroyed. Right? You say, man, there was a, uh, the, uh, this, this movie is about a post-apocalyptic event, right? If it's a post-apocalyptic movie, it means the whole world has been destroyed and there's only a few human beings left. But actually the word apocalypse, you ever heard of the book of Revelation in the Bible? Do you know what the Greek word for Revelation is actually called the book of apocalypsis, which is the word apocalypse in the Greek. Yeah. And the word simply means to uncover that which was previously covered. Yeah. To unveil that which is veiled. You see, if Tesla were to come out with a new vehicle, first they would bring it out on the stage, but it would be covered. It's present, but it's covered. That's what the kingdom of God is like. It's present, but it's covered. You see? It, it's there. You can see it. You know it's there, but you don't understand the nature of it because it's covered. It's hidden from the eyes. But the moment of revelation or apocalypsis comes when they make the announcement and then pull the cover. And when they remove the cover, the thing that was there that you knew was there suddenly becomes not only there, but seen and understood. How many know that God, his glory already fills the earth? Yeah. The whole earth is already filled with his glory, but his glory is covered. Yeah. God is among us, but he's covered. And so what God wants to do is pull the cover and begin to reveal aspects of his nature that have not been seen. But here's the way he reveals himself. Here's the way he pulls the cover. He lets you walk through a trial and puts you on display. And then by setting you free, by intervening in your life, he pulls the cover. You see, God wants us to know who he is, but he reveals who he is first and foremost through his works. Yeah. 
You know, it's, it's been said so frequently, we praise him for what he's done, we worship him for who he is, yeah. throw that out. We praise him for what he's done and who he is. We worship him for what he's done and who he is. Why? Because when God shows us, when God does something and shows us what he's done, he's already revealing who he is. He said, I am the Lord who heals you. That's who I am. It's not just what I do. It's who I am. I am Jehovah Jireh, your provider. It's not just what I do. It's who I am. You can't separate what he does from who he is. When he shows you what he does, he shows you who he is. And this is why Jesus always worked miracles first and preached the kingdom second. First, I'm going to show you who he is. And then I'm going to tell you who he is. I'm going to show you and then I'm going to tell you. You see, our, 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 this entire time period is a time of show and tell. From the time of Jesus until the second coming of Jesus, we're in a period of show and tell. Where God says, I'm going to show you who I am. And then I'm going to raise up proclaimers who are going to tell you who I am. It's going to be show and tell. The question is, are you willing to allow your life to become a divine show and tell? (laughs) (laughs) Show and tell. But here's the hard part. Jesus did not simply say that the works of God might be revealed for him. He said that the works of God might be revealed in him. You see, had Jesus said that the works of God might be revealed for him, he would have simply meant that this miracle is for his benefit. But when he said that the works of God might be revealed in him, it means that he is a participant in the revelation. He is not the observer. He's the participant. Which means that when the works of God are revealed in him, they are revealed for the benefit of the people around him, not for his benefit. It means that when God delivers you, it's not for you. That when God heals you, it's not for you. That when God intervenes in your situation, it's not for you. But it also means that your trial is not for you. That you're walking through a trial because God needs people to see you walking through your current trial. And oftentimes, God will take pains to draw attention to you in your distress, to highlight you and put you on a platform at your lowest place, to make sure everybody sees how broke, busted, and disgusted you are. And you say, God, why are you allowing me to be humiliated? He says, if you will allow me to humiliate you, I will exalt myself in you. You see... If they're going to see your exaltation first, they got to see your humiliation. So Jesus stops and says, I got to change your theology before I do anything. Stop thinking that you're cursed. Stop thinking God's forgotten about you. Stop thinking you're walking through what you're walking through because you messed up so bad. Stop thinking that God is just angry with you. Stop thinking all of that stuff. This is an opportunity for glory. God is getting ready to do something. This is an opportunity for glory. But then Jesus says this, I must work the works of him who sent me while it is day. The night is coming when no one can work. First, Jesus says, you're about to see the works of the Father. That's the the reason for his trial. But 
There's an urgency to what I'm about to do. Jesus says, I must work the works of him who sent me while it is day. The night is coming when no one can work. This is what Jesus is saying. He's saying, I'm living in a window. Jesus lived in a window. He ministered within a three-year window. Started when he was 30, ended when he was 33. When he talked about the night coming, he, what he literally meant was, in a few days, I'm getting ready to go to the cross. Yeah. In a few weeks, in a few months, I'm going to the cross. There's a window, and so there's an urgency within this window that I'm operating in to work the works of him who sent me, not my own works. My priority is to work his works within a window. Because when that window closes, and I don't know when the window's closing, I won't have any opportunity to work anymore. And so because Jesus knew that he was working within a window and that the window was going to close, he made working his father's works his primary agenda. Are are you with me? You know where I'm going with this. Because we're living in a window right now. All of us operate within a window. You've got so many years and so many hours and so many months and so many days to your life, and you don't know when the window's going to close. But what tends to happen is we make the works of the Father our second or third or fourth priority. And we say, yeah, one day I'm going to surrender my life. One day I'm going to get it in order. One day I'm going to figure out how to serve God. But it's not the time for that yet. Jesus says the reason you're not seeing the works of the Father is because you don't realize that you're operating within a window and your mind is distracted by so many things and you don't, you don't understand that if you're going to see the works of the Father, you must prioritize within a window. Yeah. I want you to understand this. In the days of the prophet Haggai, the people of Israel had just returned from their captivity to Babylon. And when they came back to Jerusalem, the entire city had been destroyed. And that meant two things. Number one, the house of the Lord, the temple, had been destroyed. And number two, their own houses had been destroyed. And here's what the people said. First, we're going to rebuild our own houses. And then we're going to rebuild the house of the Lord. And whenever anyone would say, shouldn't we be rebuilding the house of the Lord? People say, it's not time for that yet. It's not time for that yet. And then the prophet Haggai comes on the scene and the Lord raises him up and he stands up and says, you say that it is not time to build the house of the Lord. You say it's not convenient. You say it doesn't fit into my budget right now. You say this kingdom first life campaign doesn't work with my personal schedule right now. You say it's not time to build the house of the Lord. But is it time for you to build paneled houses for yourselves while my house remains a ruin, says the Lord? You see what the Lord is saying? The Lord is saying, you don't get it. You you prioritize yourselves over the kingdom of God, and of course you're not going to see the works of the Father. And then God speaks to the prophet Haggai and says this, give careful thought to your ways. He says, don't you realize that because you put yourself over my house, that I've cursed your house. Don't you realize that you've made wages and put them in pockets with holes in them? Don't you realize that when you grabbed your pouch of silver coins, you thought there were 10 in there, but you looked in, there were only two. Don't you realize that I blew away what you gathered from the field? And why? Because you're all concerned with your own houses while my house remains a ruin. And then God said this, give careful thought to your ways. Go up into the mountains 
cut down timbers and build a house for my glory that I might take pleasure in it and be honored, says the Lord. And the scripture said that the spirit of the Lord stirred the heart of Zerubbabel, son of Shealtiel, and stirred the heart of the entire remnant of the people. And they went up into the mountains. They stopped thinking about their own houses. And they went up into the mountains and they cut down timbers and they began to build a house for the Lord. And on the very day the first stone was laid upon the other, the prophet Haggai rose up again and said, remember this day, says the Lord, that from this day, I'm going to bless you. What the people didn't realize was that they were operating within a window. And that the opportunity to build the house of the Lord was now. What they didn't realize was that the foreign forces that dwelt all around them were mustering their strength to come attack them so that they would never build a house for the Lord. You don't realize how the demonic realm is dead set on preventing us from building a house for the Lord. We don't realize that when God provides us with a window of opportunity for the gospel, that we must learn how to operate within that window and make it our number one priority because when the window closes... We've missed it. We are living in a day and time in which two things are happening in our culture. First, there is growing antipathy and hostility towards the gospel of Jesus Christ in the United States of America. It's happening right now. And second, there is a growing acceleration of salvations and transformations that are happening within celebrities, and people of great authority in the United States of America. We're seeing people saved that you never thought would have gotten saved. You're seeing people begin to profess Jesus Christ that you never thought would profess Jesus Christ. You know why? Because we're in a window right now. We're in a window and there is an opportunity for the gospel and we must strike now while the iron is hot because we don't know how long this window is going to stay open. It is very possible that 20 years from now, it will be impossible for any church to build a building because of the hostility towards the gospel of Jesus Christ that's growing in this window. But right now, the window's open and our number one priority must be to work the works of him who sent us while it is day. And so then Jesus says, all right, now that I got that out the way, it's time for the miracle. You guys ready for this? And they're like, yeah, we're ready because we've seen him do miracles before, the disciples, you know. So here's what he does with blind people. He just looks at them and says, eyes be opened. See, we all dream of a miracle like that. I just want Jesus to just look at my bank account and say, bank account, be full. (laughs) I want him to look at my belly and say, fat, be gone. I just want him to look at my wife and say, give the brother some love. (laughs) I mean, isn't that the kind of miracle that we want? Like, we just want God to just do it, right? But watch watch how he does this miracle. He goes up to the blind guy. I, I want you to imagine this from the perspective of the blind dude. He hears this whole theological discourse that Jesus has with the disciples, and his excitement is growing because he's like, he's about to heal me. And then all of a sudden, Jesus goes, all right, here we go. You ready? (laughs) That's all the man heard. He's thinking, what in tarnate? Is he about to spit on me? And then Jesus spits in the dirt. (laughs) Just fat loogie, just right there in the dirt. 
and then mixes it up with his fingers and makes clay, mud, and then starts to anoint. I love the word anoint. It sounds so official. Yeah. <laughs> you know, in the temple with oil, you know, anoint things. No, Jesus anoints him with dirt and spit. So the man's sitting there, what kind of miracle is this? Yeah. And the disciples are thinking, what kind of miracle is this? And people on the street start stopping to figure out what in the world Jesus is doing in this man's life. Yeah. You see, when you're walking through a trial, sometimes people stop to figure out what in the world is going on in your life. Yeah. Shout out to Thank God Gaming. I think Jesus did it to draw attention. Because sometimes not enough people have seen you suffer. And so God's not going to get enough glory by making you well. But it gets worse because now Jesus says to him, all right, I need you to go and bathe in the pool of Siloam. Did we forget the man is blind? How cruel is it to tell a blind man to go find a specific location? Mm. I mean, if Jesus wants me to go to Siloam, won't he take me by the hand and just lead me there? Yeah. Couldn't he have grabbed a couple people and said, here, I need you to take this man to the pool of Siloam and let him. No, 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 no. Jesus puts the responsibility on the hurting person. Because wow. when you're hurting, the last thing you want is any personal responsibility. Everybody else has to take responsibility for my pain. <laughs> Jesus says to the man, you, go. Find the pool of Siloam and bathe in it. If you want the miracle, you must follow the instructions. And suddenly in that place where God gives us personal responsibility in the midst of our pain, we have to fight the temptation to make an excuse for our lack of capacity. To make our lack of capacity the excuse for our failure of obedience. Wow. Yeah, you got to write that one down. Yeah. We all must fight the temptation to make our lack of capacity the excuse for our failure of obedience. Because Jesus always gives you a command in your impotence. Remember the lame guy who couldn't walk? What command did Jesus give him? Stand up. How cruel is it to tell a lame man to stand up? What we don't realize is that God always meets us at the place where we stumble towards obedience. Now this blind man with dirt on his eyes has to stumble towards Siloam. This is what obedience often looks like. Yeah. Come on. Yeah. I'm not sure where I'm going. I just know the Lord said to go. Uh, yeah, yeah. I'm not sure how I'm going to get there, but I know the Lord said to go. Yeah. I, I don't even know if I have the capacity to get there. It's dangerous. I might, I might fall. I almost did fall. See how I turned that into an illustration? <laughs> Stumbling towards Siloam. That's what obedience often looks like. Yeah. 
And now the man is a great spectacle because everybody sees him stumbling through the town asking, which way is Siloam? Am I going in the right way? I got to get to Siloam. Anybody know where Siloam is? I'm trying to make it to Siloam. And they're like, yeah, you go to the right. Okay, how far to the right? No, now you've turned around. Go a little bit more to the left. And, and he has to depend on people to help him find his way to Siloam. The man is stumbling towards Siloam. He refuses to allow his, to allow his lack of capacity to become an excuse for his lack of obedience. He refuses. I'm going to obey. I don't care if I don't have the capacity to obey. I'm going to obey. I don't care if I got no strength left. I'm going to obey. I'm going to find the strength to take a step of obedience towards God. And now the whole town saw him stumble towards Siloam. And they saw him stumble into the pool. They saw him just trip and fall into the water. Yeah. And then they saw him plunge down under the water and wipe the dirt from his eyes. And then they saw him emerge from the water. And all of a sudden, he can see. You see, we all need a miracle from God, but the miracle you've been waiting for is a clean miracle. <laughs> yeah. You weren't waiting for a miracle that's, that involves spit and, and mud and dirt. <laughs> You weren't waiting for a miracle that, that involves stumbling to Siloam. You were waiting for a clean miracle. You were waiting for God to just float down out of the sky and, and speak, sprinkle some pixie dust on you and, and talk to the relevant parties involved. And all of a sudden you wake up tomorrow morning and everything's hunky-dory. Let me say to you that God does not have clean miracles in store for you in this season. He's got some dirty spittle miracles that involve stumbling towards Siloam. And you see, the reason why God allows you to stumble towards Siloam is so that the maximum number of people might see they saw you stumble towards Siloam and then they saw you walk back with your eyes open and your face aglow and all of a sudden the works of God have been revealed in you see some of you are anxious today because you're in the middle of that season right now where you're stumbling towards Siloam you got the dirt on your eyes it looks like the Lord has abandoned you it looks like you're utterly forsaken. It looks like God has not answered your prayer. You're in a season right now where you're humiliated before people. Yeah. You've been telling your friends and family members about the Lord, but why is your life all, all messed up? And they can see that your life is messed up. And in your heart and mind, you feel like I'm not a good witness. I'm not a good testimony to the resurrection and glory of Jesus. You don't realize that you're just stumbling towards Siloam. Yeah. You just got to keep walking. Even if you don't know where you're going, you got to keep walking and you got to keep stumbling in the direction of obedience. You see, I don't care if I'm stumbling as long as I'm stumbling in the direction of obedience. Your miracle is waiting for you in the water. He comes back seeing. And now there's another theological conversation going on. Hmm. There's a group of Pharisees, hmm. teachers of the law, religious people who heard about the miracle and they take the man aside to question him and they say, who was it that made you see? He said, you know, that guy Jesus of Nazareth made, uh, made me see. And they said, well, we know that he's a sinner. We know he's not right because he disobeys the law. And the man said, well, look, I don't know if he's right or not. All I know is I used to be blind, but now I see. Yeah. 
do you, and it's that he shut up the mouths of the theologians. Why? Because a work of God had been revealed in his life. Listen, do you know what the proof is of the resurrection of Jesus Christ? You are the proof of the resurrection of Jesus Christ. That if you can say, I went through this test, but now I got a testimony. I used to be blind, but now I can see. I stumbled towards Siloam, but I came out seeing. That is the proof of the resurrection and glory of Jesus when he reveals his work in your life. The proof is in your obedience. Wow. Yes. And so Jesus says, I got to work the works of him who sent me yeah. while it's day. Yeah. I've got to work within this window. Mm. You see, God has some powerful works to do in your life, but they're always within a window. Wow. Because what if Jesus would have told this man, Go on over to the pool of Siloam and bathe. And the man would have thought to himself, I'm too tired today. Uh, yeah. I'm just going to sleep one more night. I think I'll make my way there tomorrow. And then he woke up the next morning, and now he's not actually in the presence of Jesus anymore. Jesus walked off. Yeah. And now he doesn't have the, he's got less strength today than he had yesterday. Do you realize that from the moment Jesus gives you a command, from the moment Jesus invites you on a journey, from that very moment, you're going to experience an ever-increasing diminishment of power huh. to obey. Wow. The greatest power to obey resides in the moment that the command is released. Yeah. Every moment that you delay, you're going to experience a dramatic decrease in power to obey. Delay decreases your power to obey. So you sleep on it, you wake up tomorrow morning, you're further from obedience than you were yesterday, and you've got less power to obey. So you decide to sleep on it another night. Guess what happens? It's like going to the gym, isn't it? The longer you wait to go to the gym, the less you want to go to the gym. And after a while, you don't even have to fight that earth. You, know, you, you don't even have to like, you know what I mean? You don't have to procrastinate. You just don't even think about it anymore. That man could have sat there in that same spot with dirt on his eyes, but no miracle for the rest of his life simply because he was not willing to stumble towards Siloam. Yeah. And you know what it takes to stumble towards Siloam? It takes faith. Yeah. It takes faith. You see, this man actually was not just the, the recipient of the miracle. He was a participant. Jesus did his work, and then the man had to do his work. And when the man did his work, the combination of his work and Jesus' work released the miracle. He was a participant. Now, Jesus says in John 14, 12, if you believe in me, the works that I do will you do also, and greater works than these will, will you do. Because I go to the Father. You want to work the works that I do? you got to believe. you got to trust. If you trust in me, do you know what faith is? Faith is the resolve to work with God within the window of opportunity that he gives you to participate in the release of his works in the earth. Faith is the resolve to work with God, to participate in the release of his works in the earth. He wants to show the world who he is. 
And he wants you to be a participant in that. You simply have to have the willingness and the faith to say, I'm going to stumble towards Siloam. I'm going to move with God. Bow your heads and let's pray. Precious Heavenly Father, I thank you so much that you're in this house and that you love each and every one of these sons and daughters of yours. I pray today, Holy Spirit, that you would speak to the passivity in our hearts and minds. Because so often we hear your voice, but like the people of Israel we talked about last week, we answer not a word. We hear it, but we're not willing to respond. But Father, in this season and on this day, I pray that you would release within every heart and every soul a willingness to respond. Hearing the word without the response of faith releases nothing. But the hearing of the word accompanied by the response of faith, it works wonders. You know, I'm thinking of two situations in my mind right now. The first was several years ago, I called Pastor Daniels on the phone to complain about my wife. And I told him all about what she had done and what she had said to me and how hurt I was. And he said, man of God, I say this with all the love of Jesus Christ, but it's your fault. And you need to go home and get on your knees and repent before your wife and tell her, baby, I'm sorry, it was my fault. And that word hurt me to my core, but I obeyed it. I went home and I got on my knees and I said I was sorry. And guess what happened? God healed us. He healed our intimacy. He healed our relationship through that act of obedience. But a few years later, I called him again to complain about my wife. And he said, man of God, I say this with all the love of Jesus Christ but you need to find it in your heart to go home and say, baby, I'm sorry. It was my fault. And guess what I did? I said, no. <laughs> that ain't right. You're not hearing me. It's not fair. You know what that was? I was being called to stumble towards Siloam. And I didn't heed that word. And guess what happened? Two, within two weeks, I regretted it. I thought, man, if I would have only just said I was sorry, <laughs> I could have spared us from all of this grief that we're going through in this season. You see, when, when Jesus calls you to stumble towards Siloam, it's always difficult and it's always painful. Yeah. But he does so to rescue you from something worse. He does so because he sees a worse hardship coming your way. Yeah. He says, I'm going to call you on a journey of faith. But I'm calling you on a journey of faith because I've got something to release in your life that's going to bring you a new level of freedom and joy. And Lord, today I pray that we would heed the word of Jesus over our lives today. Yeah, yeah. that each and every one of us as we leave this place would leave stumbling towards Siloam. Resolving in our hearts to do whatever it takes to participate by faith and obedience in your works.
I speak blessing and encouragement over each and every one of these sons and daughters of yours. And I say to each and every one of you today, if you're here today, number one, if you don't know Jesus Christ as your Lord and Savior, it's so easy to open your heart to Him. It really only takes a moment. You can simply open your heart and let him in right now. And oftentimes at this moment, we ask you to lift your hand. But really, it's not the lifting of your hand that saves you, but the opening of your heart to welcome Jesus in. And when we ask you to lift up your hand, we're asking you to do so to indicate the opening of your heart. If you're at that place today, you say, I'm ready to open my heart. We're here for you. You can begin your journey with Jesus today. Well, here's what we're going to do. We're going to end the service now, but our leaders are going to be here at the front to pray for anyone who needs any prayer of any kind. And if you're opening your heart to Jesus for the first time, I'm going to exhort you, I want to encourage you to come to the front and tell one of the leaders, I just opened my heart to Jesus. And let them pray with you and pray for you. And let us walk with you on this journey. And so, Father, I just speak your blessing over each and every one of these sons and daughters of yours, those who are near and those who are far. I pray strengthen and encourage our resolve to stumble towards Siloam. Amen. I pray it in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen.